If you share good news about Jesus with someone, you can't control how they'll respond, can you? Trent Griffith explains. Understand, when people reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Now listen, if you're an offensive person and they reject you, please don't claim that you're suffering for Jesus. If you're just rude, if you're annoying, if you have bad habits and you're mean and ugly and a hypocrite, they are rejecting you. Before someone accepts Jesus, they have to accept a Christian. And so, listen, the only thing we want to offend people with is the gospel. And so if they are offended by the gospel, it's okay. Jesus says, shake off the dust of your feet and move on. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, senior pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Last week and today on Resonate, Pastor Trent is showing us from Luke chapter 10 that you and I are missionaries. If you boil it down, a missionary is someone who is sent to share the gospel. That might mean you're sent to a remote part of the world that nobody's heard of. Or it might mean that you're sent next door or to the cubicle next to yours or to a family member who needs Christ. No matter where you and I are sent, we are missionaries. Today, we'll review some highlights from last week and then the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Trent. Who does Jesus say I am? He says I'm an everyday missionary. I want you to see that here in Luke chapter 10. Here's the first point of the message. Everyday missionaries go where they are sent. You know when you're involved as an everyday missionary, you never know when you're going to get to be the planter and when you're going to get to be the picker. Sometimes in a gospel conversation, all you're doing is planting a seed. And then every now and then, you get to harvest the seed that's been planted by somebody else. You get to be the picker. Everyday missionaries go where they are sent. And everyday missionaries travel light. So why are all these restrictions on not taking money bags and sandals and like no greeting? Can't we even be friendly? What he's saying is, don't be slowed down by your stuff. The number one hindrance to missions is materialism. We won't let go of our money bags. We won't let go of our houses and our homes. And we won't go to the places where we're sent. Because all that stuff competes for your worship. And we need to make sure there's no idols in between us and the mission. Number three, everyday missionaries get the message right. Jesus left his kingdom and he came to yours. And he conquered your kingdom by his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And he's the only one worthy of you saying, you are my king. If you'll bow in submission to him, make him, receive him as king of your life, now you can enter into his kingdom. That's the message of the gospel. Or something similar. When's the last time you had a conversation with anybody like that? 
yesterday afternoon I was running around doing some errands and stuff. I decided to kind of swing by the church here on a Saturday afternoon. There was a class going on. I was excited to see there was about 20 people that came to our uh, small group leadership weekend and really excited about new leaders in the church. Then I went down into the new construction area back here. You know, there's a new administrative offices that are about to open up and in three or four weeks we're so excited about them. And when I went in there, I was just kind of looking around to see the things that were new and things that were being done. Usually when you go down there during the week, there's like a dozen workers, you know, banging. There's a lot of noise and everybody's working hard, loud music playing. I went in there yesterday about 3.30. There was one guy in there working. He was painting. Had a big roller and he was putting the final uh, coats of paint on the walls. He had earphones on and I said, hey, my name's Trent. He barely heard me. And so he pulled an earphone off and he introduced himself to me. And, and I said, how long have you been painting? And he said, since 1978. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you've, you've painted a lot of race. And if you, I said, have you lived in the area a long time? He's like, yeah, I've been here most of my life. And I said, you must have painted almost every building in the community. He's like, you have no idea how many buildings I've been inside. I said, I bet you've been in a bunch, a bunch of churches, haven't you? He said, yeah, and he named a few churches that he'd been in. I said, well, are you a part of any church? And he said, no. He said, uh, I was baptized as a Methodist. He said, I've been married to a Catholic, and currently I've been studying an Ethiopian religion, which I'm really interested in. And so I heard some more about the things that he was interested in, spiritual studies and things that he was, he was studying. And I just let him talk for about 15 minutes, felt like I made a friend. And, and after a while, I just said, well, can I ask you with all of that study, who would you say Jesus is? Because remember, Jesus asked that of the disciples. That's the most important question, right? Who do you say that I am? And he said, well, a lot of people say he's the son of God. I said, he said he was the son of God. And he went on to explain that he didn't believe there was any one, you know, true, only exclusive way to get to God. And he thought it was very judgmental of, of people to make claims against, you know, the other people. And we didn't have any right to judge. And I just listened. And um, after a while, I, I just said, well, can I share my story with you? And I told him about how I grew up, didn't believe anything, didn't know anything. We didn't have a Bible. We didn't go to church until I was about 15. And somebody began to share with me the story about how Jesus died on a cross in my my place as a substitute for my sin and just that act of love to come to somebody that was ignoring him didn't want anything to do with him as an only child I thought I was God and so Jesus had to break down those barriers and, and as a 15 year old I gave my whole life to him and I've been committed to actually getting that message out for the last 30 six, seven years, however old I am. And I said, you know what? Um, he, he had no idea who I was. He was painting my office. We were in my office. He was painting my office. I said, you know, about 10 years ago, there were about 13 people that were so committed to that message that Jesus is, is our King and he died on the cross to save us that they, they decided to start a church. I became number 14 and my wife was number 15. And, and that message has been preached in this church and, and so much so that there'll be about 2,000 people that'll come through the walls of this church. That's why we're having to add, you know, space down here. And, and and I said, I, I would just love it. You would make my day if you would come to our church sometime. And he may be here today. Tim, I don't know if you're here. I'm glad you're here. But that's the message that we preach around here. And it's resonating. And people are responding. But it's not just a message we preach inside. It's a message we preach outside. Because everyday missionaries are committed to get the message right. It's not enough just to get it right. We've got to get it out. 
And it's not just enough to get it out. If you don't get it right, you got to get it right, you got to get it out. But we're committed to that. Here's the fourth thing. Everyday missionaries, shake off rejection and move on. Look at verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, well, why wouldn't they receive me? I'm so lovable and adorable. I can't imagine somebody having a problem with me. No, here's news. Not everybody's going to receive you. As a matter of fact, the minority will probably receive you, but it shouldn't stop you from sharing the message. He says, when they don't receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So Jesus tells us what to do when people don't receive the gospel. Understand, when people reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Now listen, if you're an offensive person and they reject you, please don't claim that you're suffering for Jesus. If you're just rude, if you're annoying, if you have bad habits and you're mean and ugly and a hypocrite, they are rejecting you. Before someone accepts Jesus... They have to accept a Christian. And so, listen, the only thing we want to offend people with is the gospel. And so, if they are offended by the gospel, it's okay. Jesus says, shake off the dust of your feet and move on. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to coerce. You don't have to worry. You don't have to soften the message. You don't have to crumble your self-worth and your identity doesn't crumble because haters going to hate. Hate, hate. Shake it off. Shake it off, okay? Some really good theology and some really bad songs, okay? So everyday missionaries shake off rejection and move on. Number five, everyday missionaries are moved by the reality of coming judgment. And this is really sad. Look here at verse 12. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day, judgment day, for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazon, that was another town. Woe to you, Bethsaida, that was another town. Notice what Jesus says. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, those were two Old Testament towns that suffered the judgment of God. It's if, if they'd seen the mighty works that had been done in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, that was Jesus' adopted hometown. Man, they saw more of Jesus than anybody. They had more access to Jesus than anybody. But he says, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Hell is real. Judgment is coming. Do you see 
your friends that you shuffle by every day without engaging them in a gospel conversation? Can you see them in your mind's eye suffering eternally apart from the grace of God? They are enslaved by sin. They are blinded by Satan. They are caught in judgment. And if they do not repent, they will not escape God's righteous wrath. It is that reality that moves us to engage them, to risk the rejection, to risk offending them, to love them enough to say, I've got news that if you don't believe it, it's not going to go well for you. And notice Jesus affirms that you cannot accept God the Father without accepting God the Son. You cannot reject Jesus and try to get to God some other way. He says, if they reject me, they reject my Father who is in heaven, the exclusivity of Christ. Number six, everyday missionaries do not try to make a name for themselves. Verse 17 is kind of funny. The 72 returned, so they'd been sent out. Now they're coming back to give a report on how it went. The 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus, you should have seen them. We had demons fleeing. I mean, they were so afraid of us because we were preaching the gospel message. And they fled because of your name. Now remember, we don't know the names of the 72. So... They were pretty impressed with themselves. They, they, they may have been thinking, man, we could make a name for ourselves. We could be like professional demon slayers. So Jesus wants to correct their thinking a little bit. Look at verse 18. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Oh, you chased a few low-level demons away, did you? Well, I crushed Satan's head. And I'm about to do it again on the cross. And so Jesus says in verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. What about the wolves you're sending to us? Yeah, them too. I thought we were lambs. Yeah, but they're not going to hurt you. So verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Their names aren't written in the Bible, but their names are written in heaven. One day we will know their names. And so Jesus says, listen guys, I don't want you to be so focused on the fact that you've got power on earth. I want you to be focused that I've got power in heaven. I don't want you to be impressed with what you can do on earth. I want you to be impressed with what I'm about to do on the cross that's going to qualify you to do something and to be something that you aren't qualified to be and do. Namely, to be eternally embraced in a kingdom called heaven which you are not qualified to be in. Don't be impressed with what you can do. Be impressed with what my grace can do. It's not about your name. It's about his name. Disciples, everyday missionaries, they're not trying to make a name for themselves. And then finally, everyday missionaries leave the results to the sovereign grace of God. Verse 21. 
in that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to the little children. So you got two groups of people. One who arrogantly think they understand God, they understand the Bible, they're wise and understanding. Yeah, God hides himself from those people. And you got another group of people described as little children. Dependent, trusting, needy. Jesus says he reveals himself to them by his gracious will. Which category are you in? Does it seem like you're really smart, but you're very far from God? It's because God's hiding these things from you. You become like a little child, all of a sudden you get the revelation of God. Notice he says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Isn't that incredible? God's will is always saturated in grace and kindness and love for us. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Son. That's just Jesus' way of saying we are the same God. One God, three persons. It's the the paradox of the Trinity. But if you want to know God, you got to know Jesus. You can't scoot around Jesus. You can't reject Jesus and accept God. It's one and the same. And then finally he says, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus sets his affection on us. He draws us to himself by grace, not because he's impressed with us. And then verse 23, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see by grace. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see them and to hear what you hear and did not hear them. The sovereign grace of God. You know what that does for everyday missionaries? It takes the pressure off. The understanding that people's response to the gospel is not dependent upon my ability to speak it. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to coerce. I don't have to be likable. I just have to be faithful to deliver the message because there's nothing I can do to open their eyes to see what we've seen. Isn't that the way that you came to Christ? He opened your eyes. He opened your ears as a gracious act of his will. And so we trust God's grace to do what only God's grace can do. To open the eyes of people that we simply are sent to. There's a man in our church named Stephen Kuzmer. Some of you may know his parents, Rob and Diane. They've been faithful members of our church for a long time. And this week I learned a little bit more of Stephen's story. Stephen's a young man, single, and he attended Wheaton College. And this week he kind of sent me a, an email, a long email about his story. I want to share it with you. He attended Wheaton College and he said, um, before Wheaton I honestly had no thought of missions. He said, my perspective was self-focused and my desires and priorities sadly were on my own economic and physical security and well-being and comfort. 
He said, my mindset was changed as God started unmistakably tugging on my heart and opening my eyes to the world of need around me through a mission trip to Honduras during my freshman year at Wheaton. God flipped my earthly and self-centered priorities upside down and called me to pour out myself as an offering for the sake of others and for the sake of spreading the gospel. I came alive on this trip as my eyes were open to the reality of the need and brokenness that is present in this world. I discovered that building up earthly security and stability all pales in comparison to the much greater eternal joy of serving others and dedicating my life to the kingdom work. He said, I realized that so much of missions is based in relationships and that working with street kids required a long-term commitment to faithfully sharing the love, hope, and truth of Christ with them as they learn to overcome the chains of addictions, abuse, abandonment, and street life in Honduras. He said, we're called to be faithful in going out and communicating through word and action the message of the gospel. There's one street kid named Edgar whom God put on my heart very early in my time in Honduras. I walked with him over the course of several years as he attempted to leave the streets and enter our home. They had a group home there for kids trying to get out of the street. But kept returning back to the streets and his addiction to yellow shoe glue. One day... I was out on the streets and I saw him sitting on the sidewalk about a block away from me, sitting helplessly and hopelessly as many people walked past and around him, inhaling a bottle of yellow glue. His hair a mess, his clothes torn and dirty. He was a mess for the world to see and couldn't cover it up anymore. In that moment, as my mind was tempted to think about how there were worlds of difference between him and me, God's Spirit impressed upon me that indeed that was me sitting there. I am just as broken and in need of a Savior as Edgar was. Months later, I received a call that Edgar had been stabbed by local gang members and was in critical condition in the hospital. I immediately went to see him. My heart broke as I saw him in this condition, his body covered with wounds. The following day, Edgar told me he wanted to give his life to God and accept Christ as Lord and Savior, and afterward shared with me that he had forgiven those who had attacked him, and that after leaving the hospital, he wanted to change his life and enter our home for street kids. Tragically, Edgar ended up passing away a few days later and never made it into our group home. But I was able to rejoice in the midst of the pain as I know that he made it to his heavenly home. Stephen's here. Where are you, Stephen? There he is right over there. Hey, stand up. Let him see how good looking you are. See Stephen right over there? All right. So, so why is Stephen not in Honduras right now? He goes on and says this. Right now, my life looks different than I expected. After getting diagnosed with colon cancer in January of this year and having to leave Honduras and return to the States for treatment. So he's here because he's being treated for colon cancer. As painful and confusing as this season has been, it has opened my eyes to the fact that missions is more of a lifestyle than a specific place or ministry. Do you hear what he's saying to you, church? 
You don't have to go to Honduras to be an everyday missionary. He goes on to say, I have learned that God can use this hard season as a unique platform on which I give a testimony to whomever God places in my path. Stephen hasn't stopped being a missionary. He's just a missionary in the place God has sent him. Someday I hope you'll go to a place like Honduras and experience a short-term mission trip. God may do the same thing in you that he's done in Stephen and calling you to a specific place to be a long-term missionary, to live and build relationships and share the gospel. But listen, whether God ever calls you to that or not, in about 60 seconds, we're going to leave this room and you are going out into a mission field. And you are being sent to live on mission with Jesus Who does Jesus say you are? He says you're an everyday missionary. I want you to stand with me, bow your heads, close your eyes. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just first of all thank the Lord for opening your eyes and your ears to the gospel? Would you thank him for the people that delivered the gospel to you? Would you ask him to make your heart as tender and sensitive today as it once was when you first heard the gospel? If you're feeling any sense of guilt, that is not from the Holy Spirit. Our motivation is joy. Our motivation is God's grace. Our confidence is not our ability, but it's in God's gracious will and His ability to open the eyes of those that are blind to the things that we see. Why don't you just simply tell Him, say, Lord, I'm going on mission with You. Give me courage. Give me discernment. Help me to articulate this message that's changed my life. Don't allow me to pass by the Edgars and the Thames that I'm going to encounter this week. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. And I pray that you would continue to give us a love for people that moves us beyond these walls. Give us a confidence in your ability to protect until you're finished with us pray that we would trust that you have sent us even this week exactly where we're supposed to be. If you want to move us to another place, then give us uh, ears to hear that and to move. I pray, God, that you would be at work and that we would see the kingdom is nearer to this community because of this group of people living on mission with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Those are helpful reminders from the senior pastor of Gospel City Church, Trent Griffith. Gospel City Church gathers every week in person and via live stream, and you're invited to worship with us. We're excited to announce that next week is the launch day for the brand new Redemption City Church in South Bend, pastored by Stephen Love. You may remember hearing him earlier this summer right here on Resonate. For more information about gathering times and locations, just visit mygospelcity.org. 
Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook for more great content by searching for Gospel City Church. So we all know that the Bible says we need to love our neighbor. Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will talk more about what it means to actually be a neighbor to others. I hope you'll join us for that. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your everyday missionary heart this week. Let me not be blind with privilege. Give me eyes to see the pain. Let the blessing you've poured out on me not be spent on me in vain. Let this life be used for change. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.